everybody. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Taylor. And now we're talking, Darian. Hello and welcome. Today is June 24th. And today we have Dr. Karen Sutton of the Hospital for Special Surgery coming in to talk with us about our young athletes. Um, Ever since we did our youth lacrosse podcast a few weeks ago, I've been thinking about our kids and especially in Darian, how intense our athletic focus is and how they're playing sports year round. And I've been really curious to hear about what she's seeing from the medical side about what that's doing to them um, as young athletes. Yeah. And Dr. Sutton is a world renowned doctor and she works just down the street from us and she works with a number of athletes here. So it's amazing that we have access to someone like this. Yeah. We're really lucky that she can make the time today. So let's get to it. Dr. Sutton, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, can you give us a little bit of background on, on your experience and you know who you are as a doctor and a professional in this in this space? I'm happy to, and thanks for having me this morning as well. My background, I'm a doctor in orthopedic surgery and sports medicine at Hospital for Special Surgery. My sports background started, I played lacrosse going through high school and then into college, I played at Duke. And then after that experience, it just brought so many different aspects to my life to light. And then I wanted to continue to be in sports medicine. So after that, I went to medical school and then residency in orthopedic surgery, subsequently went to a fellowship at Mass General in sports medicine, where I specialized on treating athletes from young to old, from elite athletes to weekend warriors. And then once I started practice, I started working with the U.S. women's lacrosse team. I went to Germany with them, and then we had national championships and then world championships in Canada. And then I worked as currently the chief medical officer for world lacrosse. And then I'm the team physician for the U.S. ski and snowboard athletes, where I was just in Austria with them in January and at one of their World Cup events, which was empty due to COVID. Very interesting. Crazy. I mean, you have an absolutely amazing resume. I I must say I've looked at all 19 pages of it. (laughs) It's it's truly impressive. I mean, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We're so lucky to have you locally. I know some friends that have worked with you and um, and rave about your your work. and I got a you know a soft spot for you being an ex-ski racer. So I think it's so cool that you're with the ski and snowboard teams. But let's dive into this. I think I wanted to bring you on. I think we wanted to bring you on because Darien is obviously a very athletically focused town. And with colleges and you know, even pro teams recruiting younger and younger, we're seeing parents pushing athletes younger and younger to specialize and train harder and longer, more around the calendar year. What are you seeing? I mean, are these, are these, am I off the, off base here? Are you seeing injuries more frequently and talk to us about what you're seeing in our kids? Sure. I think in our athletes, I see a lot of them where starting to get after elementary school, I think in elementary school, parents, athletes, coaches do a great job of really encouraging different sports. Athletes are playing soccer, basketball, skiing, playing lacrosse in the summer, doing tennis, all the different club sports, But then I think as it starts to get to late elementary school, early middle school, there are a lot of demands on our athletes. And I think it's not for ill will, but I do think that they start to gear towards focusing on one sport. And it's just by nature of the schedule a lot of times where on the weekends they're doing tournaments for lacrosse, tournaments for soccer. 
um, and it's taking up a lot of their time and it's hard to mix up some of the other sports within that time frame. And so I think the schedule first starts to channel them into playing one sport and then it gets to be difficult for parents too, where as soon as they focus on travel, then a lot of the time that you're spending getting to the locations is taken up as well. Um, so I think it starts in the late elementary school, middle school age where they're starting to play one sport. And from what I see from a doctor's perspective is we start to first see overuse injuries from focusing on the same muscle groups, the same joints all the time. And then that oftentimes will lead to injuries such as um, ACL injuries, ankle sprains, um, certainly in throwing athletes and swimmers, we see a lot of overuse injuries to the shoulder as well versus if we could have them play a lot of different sports. Um, you know, one example is one of the coaches I work with for the U S women's lacrosse team, he has his, he coaches at Stony Brook and the athletes on their days off sometimes will do boxing or various really cool activities. And it's fun because it's still a team event, but it doesn't use the same muscle groups that they do. Um, you know, running a million miles per hour on the lacrosse field. Dr. Sutton, when you talk about like, um, we, we talk about this issue of specialization and you start, starting at the youth level, what is the age group of where kids are still developing and where do they get finally developed enough to where they actually could smartly specialize and be, you know, and take a, have a career with that? That's a great question because we talk about that at our conferences and as much as we try to avoid early sports specialization, there is a time where athletes really should specialize in sports. There are a couple outliers to the rule where if athletes are participating in gymnastics, sometimes baseball, they have to develop very, very specific skills. Otherwise they can actually get hurt if their form isn't correct or if their body isn't strong enough to do the sport. So those sports we actually say sometimes can specialize early without um, actually with benefit if they specialize early and that being you know kind of in the elementary school age. The other sports that we're typically talking about, I think specialization before the age of 13 can be detrimental to the athlete, where again, they're still developing um, their muscles, actually our bones, there's a law called Wolf's Law, where our bones develop amidst the muscle. So as the muscles are putting some force and stress through the bones, the bones form to address that stress. If that's done incorrectly, it could give different problems with, you know, the shoulders, the hips, the knees. And that's why we really emphasize that, um, you know, multiple different sports. I was going to say, is that defined by necessarily multiple sports there? Or can you still be in multiple sports before 14 and still be, you know, over specializing because your kid is playing seven days a week, even though it's all different sports? What I would say is as we're looking at the school year, let's think of, you know, the year picture. It's great if the athletes at least one season per year can play a different sport. So if three seasons per year, they're playing lacrosse, maybe over the summer, take a step back and have take them the do tennis or off. rowing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so not just play another sport, but take the season off. Is that what you recommend? Yeah. Yeah. And it's fine to play recreationally, but you know, you don't want to play at such a competitive level year round. And then if you divide up the week, just like you were saying, I think seven days a week for a developing athlete to be on the field two to three hours a day is a little bit much. Again, I think sports are different, whereas there are some really great swim programs that the athletes are out there training, but they usually mix up the different strokes and will do dry land training. So there's some 
sports and coaches that do an exceptional job of trying to vary the programming and the training. But I think every athlete one day a week should have a day off. And well, and Tara just said, like, take a season off. I don't know. I mean, I don't know who's taking a season off. Tara. Even, but even the kids yeah. at this level, they're still having so much fun. I feel like they don't want to take a season. I mean, maybe they're already feeling the pressure. But like, if a kid wants to be playing. Do you, do you guide parents? Do you offer advice to parents? I mean, should they be enforcing that with their kids, even if it is truly coming from the kids? that they want to play? I think really just encouraging the kids to try other sports. That's the other thing is sometimes they get in these sports where they're playing it over and over again, and it just gets to a competitive level too quickly and they tend to burn out. There's actually a pretty high dropout rate, especially most of my research is done in female athletes, but there's a high dropout rate for female athletes around the puberty phase, around 11 to 13 years old. And they get burnt out. They feel that the sport is too competitive. It's taking up too much time in their life. And they don't feel like they get extracurricular activities. Um, So I do think both the overuse factor as well as just avoiding burnout, I think it's nice to be exposed to different sports. And I wouldn't say take the season off to not do any sports, but that would be a great time to explore a different sport if they could. You also work with Darien football, right? And any other Mm -hmm. Darien teams? I see a lot of the lacrosse athletes and I work with the lacrosse teams pretty frequently. Okay. What kind of injuries are we seeing in our athletes? For our lacrosse athletes, boys is actually considered a collision sport in lacrosse versus girls is considered a contact sport. So in both actually girls and boys, the lower extremity injuries tend to be the same. They tend to be overuse injuries, ankle sprains, knee sprains, And these sprains runs anywhere from an MCL sprain, which is treated non-operatively to an ACL sprain, which obviously, you know, if it's a rupture, it leaves them about nine to 12 months out of sports. That's for the lower extremities. For the upper extremities, interestingly, it differs in men's and women's or boys and girls lacrosse, whereas since the boys have so much more contact and collision associated with it, they get shoulder sprains, um, they can get clavicle fractures because they're landing or being hit in the shoulder region. The girls tend to get more instability of the shoulder where the shoulder shifts back and forth, but they don't have as much of the upper extremity um, collision sport injuries. And this is all kids under 18 we're, we're talking about here in this yeah. This case. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how many yes. of them are caused, do you think, if you had to cuff it, you know, how much of it is overuse and how much of it is just the nature of the sport? Overuse injuries we tend to see as they're ramping up preseason. For example, as football starts, we see most of the injuries happen in that preseason training camp where they're doing two a days and maybe they took the summer and had some liberties with their training. And that's the most intense area where we see those overuse injuries. Those tend to be, you know, pulling your quad, pulling your hamstring, um, just right. where the body's not ready for the sport in itself. We also see a lot of shin splints during that time. Interestingly, a lot of hockey players. So in, in our area, a lot of um, yeah. athletes are playing hockey and then going into lacrosse and that difference between being in a skate and then getting onto the grass again, in that preseason training with lacrosse, we see that as a lot of ankle injuries because they didn't have that support for the ankle as they're starting out lacrosse. Is this um, p- possibly uh, part coaching Dr. Sutton? Like, is it the training we're doing? Like if we were more smart about how we're training these kids and physically building them up, would that be more preventative or is it still just the fact that they're doing constant with no recovery? One example I'd give is I'm a huge fan of weight training. When I got to middle school, going from elementary school to middle school, I think that's always a tough time for 
you know, identifying who you are and what you want to do. And one way I interacted with the athletes is I saw some of my girlfriends who were swimmers and before school, they would go to the weight room at the gym across the street. And I thought that was pretty cool. So I asked my dad if he would drive me and I started really embracing the weight room and the training and seeing how it made me stronger, made me faster. What I didn't realize until I got into practice is I think I actually continued that getting into Duke. And when I played at Duke, I, you can ask the strength and conditioning coach, he made fun of me in the beginning, like, why are you here all the time? But I do think it helps to keep athletes on the field. If especially you can keep your core muscle group strong, really focusing on the glutes, the core, um, those are your stabilizing muscle groups and anywhere from baseball players where that actually helps to stabilize them during their throw to our pivoting cutting athletes, where it helps to prevent them from kind of overshifting one direction versus the other, you'd be surprised how important it is for core strength in those sports. But then they say like, you don't want to do, um, there was an old theory that you're not supposed to do weight training too early in kids. I know they yes. moved that. Were you going to say that? I was very curious. When do you think it's safe to start weight training? Usually we say as athletes start to get into puberty, it's, it's a safe time to weight train. There can be some, if you're doing extreme weight training, extreme weights, there can be a time where the growth can be stunted a little bit because of that. But I think that's a little bit older thinking. And now with weight training being a lot more body weight exercises, dynamic training, there's not as much weight being thrown up and down. You know, I think where you're loading up all the plates and putting your, um, how much you can bench or how much you can squat on the wall, that's starting to be a little bit more old school. And I think doing a lot of your strength and conditioning on your field or in the area where you're actually playing, I think that's great because a lot of coaches you had alluded to, are there certain coaches that um, really coach to avoid injury? And yes, there certainly are the coaches that will emphasize that strength and conditioning along with the skills that go into the sport. Yeah. I'd like to think that our coaches are well aware of the risks and, and thinking about, you know, like you and I talked the other day about the dynamic training and strength training and, you know, training athletes to be more resilient. When Taylor asked you, by the way, about your, the injuries, um, you know, what you're seeing, um, I heard some statistics. Soft tissue repair ind- industry is going to be 17 billion in the next five years. Like ACL surgeries are up in the young kids. I mean, that's obvious, but like going up like by three percent plus. I've heard like um, concussions are up 100. percent Do you do you know these statistics? Have you heard things like this as well? The ACL injury. One thing that um, we talk about in our conferences a lot is ACL injuries are happening a little bit earlier. Um, before we used to see these ACL injuries around that. Um, you know, right before puberty or right around puberty phase, um, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. And now we're starting to see it younger, which makes it very difficult as surgeons because we have to do different techniques to avoid the growth plates. Um, and it's a lot more challenging to do those surgeries in our younger athletes. Why so along with the statistics earlier? you just mentioned, I do think that ACL injuries are happening sooner in our young athletes too. Why do you think they're happening earlier? I think just the intensity of the sports. I, th- I think that our kids are actually more powerful. They're stronger. They're faster. Um, they're learning the skills a lot more quickly. And then the other challenging thing with boys and girls as they get into puberty is the growth discrepancy. I mean, you guys see that on the field sure. sometimes where you'll see a boy who hasn't even started puberty playing against a, basically a man. Yeah. And, um, and that challenge between the two, especially if you're working with a collision sport can be very dramatic. Absolutely. You know, I'd be curious to hear, you know, what do you think, how do you, or do you, I, I assume you have relationships with coaches and discuss their strategies. Are you encouraging coaches to 
sustain commitment policies that allow kids to play other sports. What do you tell coaches? I can tell you from the personal standpoint. First, I have four children and I tend to seek out programs that will allow my children. They play lacrosse, um, soccer, basketball, and we ski in the winter and coaches that do understand that in the fall, I tend to like to focus on the soccer um, as a sport. And then in the spring, I tend to like to focus on lacrosse and we'll make that aware to the coaches beforehand. And I know it's challenging at times for them if they're looking at their roster for games, but I think it's really important to have that communication before you get into the season. And I think coaches really appreciate that. And they'll recruit athletes who play a lot of different sports. In terms of the coaches that I work with, a lot of the coaches actually seek me out for the reason of caring about the health of the athletes and they actually want to do more for their program. So I, I've been giving the coaches a lot of credit in terms of trying to understand their athletes and sometimes female athletes have to train differently than male athletes, but they'll sit down. Most of my teams that I work with, the coaches will sit down with me and say, how can we make this season better? Um, what are some modalities that we would talk to our athletes about to keep them healthy during the season. And that ranges anywhere from sleep as a form of recovery to there's some amazing um, equipment devices now that we use for our athletes, such as the um, compression boots, which are various different brands, such as Normatec. Um, and then those um, massage guns can be really helpful for our athletes. So I'll talk to coaches just about those equipment options. And then finally, nutrition options and um, really focusing on strength and conditioning. And then the personnel, there are some great athletic trainers, physical therapists around our area. We're very blessed with who we have as um, personnel working with our athletes. Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely have um, some incredible coaches in this area. I mean, I know in Darien, we certainly do. We're producing better and better athletes. I think the hard part is like, I'd love to have them here to like participate in this conversation about their commitment <laughs> to well, bring them in, bring some guests in. Well, but to bring them in to um, discuss how they view like developing the best athlete. But unfortunately, and part of the reason that we wanted you here is, is there isn't um, there, there's a conflict, right? They often are running the club teams in the off season, sometimes not even in the off season mm -hmm. that compete with, um, other sports and that are promoting, you know, 365 days a year of play in that sport. So you can't really ask them to be neutral, I guess, on objective. The idea, are you exactly objective on the idea of, you know, balance? Right. Um, yeah, it's true. But I think that um, coaches do know when athletes are looking at being recruited for colleges and as they get to high school. Um, if an athlete's playing defense and basketball to be able to bring that to a sport like soccer and lacrosse, it makes a big, big difference. And so even if the coaches aren't proponents of it, they see the advantages of if the athletes have learned um, different skills from other sports and they are stronger athletes in general. That's, that's, you know, kind of known to all the recruiting coaches. Yeah. I heard that. I heard that as well. Like, from many top level coaches, they'll speak about like kids who are in, in sports that are that where the peak is college and then thereafter that they find the kids that are playing multiple sports are their best athletes. I mean, maybe they have a better field sense, a better like team playing sense. They're, you know, they're more like physically fit and able to do different things because, and they tend to go on, they, they excel in college and they go on not just physically, but like, and also the mental side that we keep dancing around. 
I think one cool thing. So my coach from college, I often talk to her about why she recruited me because I wasn't the fanciest player. I didn't have the greatest skills or dodging, you know, getting the um, ball in the back of the goal, but I was a feisty hard worker. And um, I think that the really good college coaches can mold a player in terms of the skills, the plays that they want the athlete to do. So I think they'll take a raw athlete coming into college. If the athlete is very strong, fast, agile, um, and they can do a lot with them. I, I think great coaches teach a lot of that talent for the sport as they get into college and there's less pressure on that. So an athlete who is going to the weight room, doing track workouts, um, for at least the, the field sports, um, they're on ice doing, you know, just extra training for hockey. Those are the athletes that I think will pro progress on. And they're usually happier. I mean, to enjoy that performance training along with your actual sport training, I think is a really nice concept. I love hearing that. Well, they still have to be fresh too. I mean, when they get yeah. to college, right? They still have to have four years of, of interest and passion for it at least. Exactly. Right. exactly. Um, and I mean, burnout's a really big thing. Like it, yeah. how much do you deal with that? Uh, you know, do you? Yeah. What, yeah. Tara's point about burnout, like what is, what are the early signs of burnout? At HSS, we work with a women's sports medicine center and a, one of the women who's on our team, she's a sports psychologist and she'll talk to us first about burnout in our own life. We'll have her as a, almost a, even though she's part of our team, we'll have a guest speaker to just help us through it. But for our younger athletes, what we see is sometimes interestingly in the office, as they approach me, they'll have a small injury, but it's almost an injury where they want to spark that discussion, whether they know it or not with their parents. And you kind of ask them, it's, it's nice to hear what the parents' goals are in the sports and what the kids' goals are in the sports, because those can be dramatically different. A lot of our younger athletes, there's a lot of research in youth soccer, where when they're young, when they're in elementary school, um, maybe even later in elementary school, they just want to be with their friends. They want to be out there. They want to get touches with the ball. Um, they want to laugh. They want to smile versus the parents, if their team's not winning or if they feel like their child isn't playing enough, those tend to be the goals for the parents. So it's fun as a surgeon, I can talk to both the parents and the athlete. And sometimes I'll get athletes in high school who, as they're going to college, they're like, oh no, I don't want to play that sport ever again. I have no interest in that. I want to do Pilates. I want to you know, do yoga with my friends, maybe do some marathons, but I, I don't necessarily want to play that sport. And it's kind of shocking because it's the first time the parents will have heard that. Um, so I think it's really important as parents, coaches, to understand what are your goals in the sport? What do you want to do? And I think that helps with burnout. If you can focus the training, the practices to accomplish the goals of the actual athlete, but you did ask, what are the initial signs of burnout? And I think seeing those small injuries is a, is a first sign of maybe physically they're starting to burn out and then mental burnout where they just don't want to go to practice. They're not smiling as much. You know, one of the things they say as parents to ask your child after practice is, did you have fun today? What was it like? Um, did you see your friends to ask about more of the mental side? And if they start, you know, bringing their shoulders down and just walking off the field, like it's a job, then that's probably an early sign of burnout. And we actually have some really great sports psychologists around the area who will tend to work with my athletes after injury, but they'll also work with a lot of athletes. Um, now they're fully booked during COVID because everybody's going through some mental health challenges, but they'll work with our athletes during that maybe pre burnout phase. And um, the cool thing around our area is there's so many options for sports that if somebody burns out from soccer, yeah. they can 
row or do do some other sports. Great call. How often do you see the parents driving the bus on the kid's athletic career? It depends. I think it goes in different directions. You know, um, we see a lot of parents who have played sports at a high level and they're like, yeah, I just want my kids out there and having fun. And then you also see the parent who's trying to live vicariously through the kids and they're like, my son or daughter, they are going to be an Olympic athlete. Actually, they were an Olympic athlete last year. They just didn't, you know, get the right tryouts or whatever <laughs> happens. And, um, and I think that's challenging. You know, I think really first and foremost, these kids should have fun out there, but we, we do see a lot of parents and, you know, in good faith, they, um, really want to push their kids and sign them up for every clinic, every camp. And they think that's, what's going to get their athlete to the top. But, I think for them, I would start with the basics and really having having a child who thinks the sport is fun it is just going to serve you well down the road. I don't know if you, there's a statistic you could put on this, but to, like, to follow up on Taylor's question, do you see a different physical product like in your office, more injuries from kids who are pushed by parents versus from kids who are pushing themselves? I can tell you from... One example would be recovering from ACL surgery. I see a lot of, uh, for some reason, I I see a lot of female athletes. I think just, um, actually some of them will look at my Instagram and decide that's who I want to see. I'm going to see her. She's, you know, working out and um, she seems to enjoy sports just as much as I do. So I I tend to get a lot of um, young female athletes with unfortunately ACL injuries, but they are so strong, so tough and their self-motivation is incredible. And by the time they get back on the field and, um, you know, I always offer the help of sports psychology, but they are so driven. And I see that as a big difference. And I think the athletes who end up making it to college and beyond, there's definitely a self-motivation, self-discipline that that is a little different than just the parents telling them to wake up, go to practice, get out there, win, score goals. Um, it, it's just needed to have that self-discipline. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's always great to see it coming truly from the athlete. I mean, that's fun when you just have to, like, totally. you know, harness that and rein it in and manage it. Um, but that the fire is really burning in their belly. That goes from good coaching too, by the way. Like inspiring yeah. by coaching. Yeah, can be. Right. I mean, for sure. A, um, but I was wondering if you had heard anything about this NCAA um, Supreme Court ruling the other day, because. For anyone that doesn't know, uh, Alston versus NCAA was, I guess, decided on Monday and, you know, in a nutshell, kind of expanded. On, on Monday, what was that, June? June 21st, I think. Um, expanded the ability to which colleges can compensate athletes. And, you know, this is like opening a major box for the NCAA. And, you know, I see, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've seen it, I've lived it, like, Athletics is a healthy, a quote, healthy path to success, right? It gets you potentially a college scholarship, access to job opportunities. It's, you know, it's better than, to, to a lot of people, better than, you know, being locked in a room studying for 18 years. You know, you get to, agree. You're out, you're breathing healthy air, you're being physical. So I think a lot of parents, especially here, recognize that path and want their children to follow it. So if this, are we pouring gasoline on the fire here? If the NCAA and, sorry, colleges can start to compensate athletes. I mean, what does that mean for this problem of parents pushing kids too early? Sorry, it's a long question, but do you, are you worried about this? I think it's a double-ended sword where when I went to college at Duke, there were some really outstanding athletes who went on to play in the pros. And 
the amount of commitment they gave to their sport and energy they gave to the sport did go above and beyond kind of what was normally expected. I mean, they had to live, eat, breathe, sleep their sport and to a great success. I mean, they, they were incredible athletes and I was lucky that, you know, I was able to major in the sciences and play lacrosse, but some of these athletes, as they, you know, get into playing basketball, football, you're putting your body through kind of sheer torture with some of the things that you're doing and career ending injuries can be a true problem. And it's actually really hard. I mean, a lot of athletes are coming from lower income families and to go to a private college where you're paying a lot. I mean, athletes are eating more, you know, I think there's a really high cost of living for being an athlete um, during this time. And I think initially just, you know, potentially giving more money for education, I think is really helpful. We also want to encourage athletes to stay in school. And if they can graduate um, from college with a degree, I think is really helpful. Right. Um, yeah. I don't want to lose that. So I'm gonna jump, I don't want to lose that aspect yeah. of this equation. But yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I can see the benefits of it where I do want to support these athletes and playing sports in college and it takes away from some of their other aspects in life, but you don't want it to get too commercialized either. Um, and ultimately it'd be nice to have, you know, kind of one and done athletes be on the down slope. That would be nice to have. Cause it's, it's great to watch everybody through four years of sports. Yeah. I mean, sadly, you know, these kids are <clears throat> often beating their bodies up to get to that level. And, you know, I, I personally think they should be compensated if they bring in the money that they do and then potentially get injured and never make it to the NFL or the NBA or whatever. I mean, they should be compensated for their work. I, you know, I do, I agree with that personally, but that's neither here nor there. I think what I'm worried about is if, if we do open that box, that possibility that they can be compensated, that we're going to have more parents more interested earlier in developing exceptional athletes. And I think that, you know, it puts a lot of mental pressure on our kids and a lot of physical pressure on our kids. And it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that one thing, a lot of the kids are going to summer camps and clinics with college coaches. And I think if we can have a leadership aspect to some of those programs, um, you know, for a lot of the summer camps, they'll do their sport, but a lot of with their sport, they'll actually talk to the trainers about what injuries to look out for, how you can stay healthy in the sport. Sometimes they'll have some of their nutritionists come in from the college. And I do think sports is great, as you mentioned, for getting an amazing career in life, being more focused. Um, We do see more success in life when kids play sports. So I think if we can capitalize on that leadership aspect, you know, here's some training to be a captain of your team, but secretly that actually shows them how to be a leader in the world as well. And there are some local programs who do such a great job of that, where they'll coach the sport, but also coach leaders in life. And I think if we're alluding to that, where parents can focus on not just the actual sport, but leadership, then maybe we'll make a difference in the holistic approach to these yeah. young guys. We yeah. just started a youth field hockey program and in our mission, it was, you know, developing the whole athlete. So yeah, nice. I get that. yeah. That's awesome. I mean, our, our lacrosse program does that too here, our youth lacrosse. Yeah. But I was going to ask, you know, like talking about the, you know, being paid and what you're talking about. I, I sometimes don't understand. I mean, are we pushing to get kids scholarships to get them in the best school or are we pushing them to, um, to be, you know, post-collegiate like Olympic players? Are we, po- are we pushing for money? Is, is the end game money? Is the end game like 
a, a good education is and jo- like a career a launch a career path. I, I'm kind of confused at what what yeah. you're seeing people are going for here. And by the way, if it is money, then we just threw a you know a bomb in that equation. If kids are right. getting paid younger, yeah. I mean, what do you see? What is the do you get a sense of what the end game is of why parent why the push early on? A couple things. One is potentially a scholarship in college. College is just getting extremely expensive. And now we see, you know, as we all went through or going through this COVID pandemic, kids are going virtual and you're paying all this money for kids to sit in a room and and study. So I think that it's a challenge for parents to pay for that college education. And I think if they see that their son or daughter has some opportunity to decrease that cost, I think, you know, they tend to schedule a couple of extra clinics for the athlete or really see if they can make it. And I, I really sometimes wouldn't fault the parents at it because sometimes the kids really enjoy it. And I, I think it's not always um, a negative, but yeah, I mean, I, I do see it in the negative as well, where, you know, they just are a hundred percent sure that if their child is doing fencing, which is a right. high <laughs> propensity to, you know, getting into college or they'll switch over to crew where again, they just look at the statistics and, um, you know, maybe more athletes are getting into some better schools. I think that's not the right approach. I mean, they should always play the sport that they want to play and not just, you know, play the odds and get them into a sport that will give them some money for college. Um, but I, I think first and foremost, I think it's where the kids potentially can get some money for college. Second around this area, it is so competitive that even if the child isn't getting money for college, it, it may help them to get into the school. And if you look at some of the college acceptance rates, um, I actually interviewed for Duke on their alumni committee, and it's it's astonishing. I, I mean, I feel bad as I even start the interview because the percentages of acceptance are are mm-hmm. pretty daunting. Right. Um, so I think those are the twofold that I see. So fiscally driven and a better education. Yes. Driven. And as we drive our athletes, you know, harder and harder, um, you know, whether it's by their own, as we, as they drive themselves, yeah, it could be by themselves or as we, you know, I mean, as a community, as a nation, right. As, as our athletes are being pushed harder and earlier, I'm curious, your, your guidance, your advice on, um, you know, managing pain and recovering from injury as far as like use of anti-inflammatories or cortisone shots. I mean, there's a lot of things that can get kids back on the field, but at their detriment, right? Right. If we're talking about youth athletes, we try to be much more conservative with our youth athletes. If we can avoid surgery, can avoid steroid injections, it has to be an extremely thoughtful approach. There's actually a fellowship where you train just in pediatric sports injuries so that we're aware in the growing athlete and rest and sleep is critical in these athletes. Um, when I speak at different schools and they're studying, they're, um, playing their sport. And then all of a sudden they're on their devices starting at, you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, and they can't go to sleep. Then it's this continued cycle of injury and pressure. So I think the basics of sleep and food is where I would start. You know, it's almost, if you were to think about the pyramid and, um, making sure they're, getting the nutrition for their body and the sport that they're playing. An example would be midfielders. Um, they are running so much and, and putting themselves out there, especially the sport of soccer, the amount of running that they're doing. And it's, it's important as parents and coaches to encourage them eat a lot. I mean, they're not going to get fat if they're playing midfield, really encourage a, sure. a nice healthy diet in those athletes. 
So right, think, and eating the proper food too, right? Because that feels yeah. like that, you know, healthy growth and muscle yeah. growth, right? And Not just crap. You get up to just making sure throughout the week you're training different muscle groups and changing up practices and in, including that strength and conditioning and performance training. Um, there's some great performance coaches out there that can give some advice around our area too. And then if we're talking about after practice or after games, that's where you want to consider ice. Um, I do think if people have access to some of those compression boots and if the athlete is playing, you know, seven games in a tournament all weekend and they can head over and put their legs in um, the compression boots, it really helps to bring the lactic acid back up to the body and helps to process it. And then um, soft tissue work. So just um, foam rolling, um, gentle stretching before and after practice is really helpful. One other thing that we will talk about a lot in our lectures is ACL injury prevention programs. And it sounds like a very complicated system, ACL injury prevention program, but literally all it is is a couple different changes in the warm up to focus on changing direction in the warm up and focusing on what's called the posterior chain muscle groups where you're starting to activate the glutes, activate the hamstrings. Those are so protective to the ACL um, and the other knee ligaments as well as the ankle ligaments. Um, and so I think there's just some basics that we can do and people try to make it too complicated, but um, that would be the start. Yeah, I mean, I could, <clears throat> I'm extremely interested in the nutrition part of this. I always latch onto that because I think that's a place that we're growing, getting more and more knowledge every day. and is extremely influential um, in this process. But I mean, it's like almost like we need um, a nutrition specialist in here as well as a, a psychologist, yeah. sports psychologist to like round out this conversation. I agree. I mean, you know, especially now with um, a lot of kids are seeing, should they be gluten-free, dairy-free? Um, you know, yeah. unfortunately, a lot of kids around our area, they have a certain figure that they want to look like too. And um, there are challenges. And I, I think when probably all three of us were growing up, it was more an eating disorder. Like, Oh, she has anorexia or she has bulimia. Right now it's more on a scale where, um, some of the college teams I work with, again, it, it tends to be those athletes who are a lot of times midfielders or in sports where body um, image is a concern such as gymnastics. And it's just a subtle change in the diet where all of a sudden they're not getting the nutrition that they need to be prepared for their sport. And I think it's important for parents and coaches to see if the athletes aren't recovering quickly enough, if they seem more fatigued, oftentimes that can be either a nutrition issue or a sleep issue. Do you, uh, any of your kids, have any of your kids had um, sport injuries? Um, yeah, so I have, uh, sorry to get personal on you, but I'm just kidding. Intense little athletes in my household. I, I, I have, get that uh, sense. Okay. Boys, um, you, 11, we... nine and eight. And then my daughter who's, um, six and the first broken bone out of all of them was actually my daughter. The six year old. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's adorable. <laughs> I would be curious to have a follow up with you. If like one of your kids, by the way, under like 15 years old tore an ACL or like had like a minor meniscus tear, how you would personally yeah. handle that? Like, would you just, you're off, you're resting, you're eating well, or would you push like surgery? I guess, I mean, it's all dependent, of course, the injury, but yeah, I, I think it depends on the injury. You know, I, I guess I would give that a caveat where I know I said, 
conservative treatment is where we start with a lot of these athletes. Just going back to that question too, I will say we definitely try to avoid cortisone injections in our young athletes. So you had brought that up as well. Um, that really isn't until, you know, if we can just only use those after college because it can damage the cartilage cells a little bit. I think people don't realize that just throwing cortisone into anything. Um, there are some risks associated with that. But then there are times in our young athletes where we like to do surgery sooner because it can prevent further damage to the joint. There's some latest research in female shoulder injuries where um, if a female athlete had a shoulder dislocation, initially that was just, oh, definitely no surgery. She needs to do physical therapy. Um, but we're starting to see where if it was a pretty dramatic shoulder dislocation and then she's still having some instability episodes that stabilizing the shoulder sooner can prevent cartilage injury down the road. Wow. And I think we're still doing research in a lot of different injuries for these sports, but if a, if a joint is not stabilized, um, another thing that we learned in the literature was probably about, you know, 30 years ago, a lot of surgeons were not operating on pediatric ACL injuries because of the growth plate issues. Mm -hmm. But what a, a group up at Boston Children's found is that meniscus tears, cartilage injuries were happening sooner and sooner, and they develop a new technique where they're stabilizing the knee. It's not the same as an ACL injury that, you know, you and I would have and the surgery wouldn't go the same way. But it's really important for these youth athletes to have a very stable joint because in general, they're more lax. They have a lot more movement to our joints than we do as we get older. I've got a very basic question we probably should have started with, which is, are you seeing more injuries now in young athletes than you were like 10 years ago? Well, I think it's COVID dependent. So first, if we want to talk about COVID, sure. okay, yes, so pre -COVID we're, no. yeah, so we're seeing more injuries um, amidst the COVID pandemic. Um, and then pre-COVID, we do see more overuse injuries in our athletes, but there's more research coming out to direct coaches in terms of guiding their athletes. For example, in baseball, now we know which pitches should start at different ages. They, um, you know, first just start out throwing the basic fastball, but then if you're getting into your more challenging pitches, those really shouldn't start until the shoulder is much more developed. Um, and so to have all that research and the guidelines, that's where I think being a sports medicine surgeon is really interesting because we can take real life experiences and do research to equate to it. Um, one thing that I talk to our athletes about in our area is surface differences. So when we all played, you know, it was basically either AstroTurf or get grass. Now they have so many different gradations in the turf and the AstroTurf. And so if your cleat or your shoe does not match the surface, you're much more at risk for ankle sprains and knee injuries. Um, and so, yeah, we're seeing more injuries, but we're also seeing a lot of research that can guide injury prevention. That's great. I mean, thank you. Your expertise is helping, you know, helping our kids keep up with all of this. So thank you. Um, yes, I, still I do know. tell the, the parents don't like me though, because I tell them to, in their bags that they bring to sports, they need their trainers, like their running shoes. They need their turf shoes. They need their cleats. Um, I mean, they just have to be prepared for all these different surfaces. Cause sometimes at these tournaments, they'll play on just a grassy, literally farm field. And, uh, so really just making sure they have pretty aggressive turfs for that. But then sometimes all of a sudden they'll play on AstroTurf and you do not want to wear cleats on AstroTurf. They're just too grippy and that'll cause some damage to the joints. Yeah, I'll admit that I'm the cheap parent who's going, oh, shoot, now I have to buy the extra <laughs> shoes. <laughs> I know. It's annoying. Let's go barefoot. They should be sponsored. Get all these kids sponsored. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Back to the money. Back to, it all goes back, right, to, back the to the money. 
my yeah, gosh. Yeah, if I was to walk away from here, I was trying to think about like my takeaway from all this because like, I mean, it's still all over the place, but for me, the takeaway is balance. And I know that that, that changes from age to age. So balance, whether it's like your your health between physical, mental, um, and nutritional health like that, or like, you know, within a single sport, it just seems across the board, as long as you're keeping that in perspective, um, I don't know, that'd be my takeaway. Make sure they're happy and having joy when they're playing their activities and out with their friends, you know, just try to get a, get your finger on the pulse of that for the kids too. Yeah. And just, you know, by the way, Taylor, closing this out to, between you and me, I have to say like this discussion about youth health is such an interesting, interesting topic to me that I wish, I hope we continue to pursue this on our podcast because we even had someone in here uh, yesterday that was talking about like, you know, f- visual, you know, um, the damages to the children, our youth's eyes with their progressive interaction of screen time and how that's affecting their vision. Um, and then we also talk about, you know, masks in school is a big deal right now. And I'd love to have a doctor in here talk about the physical and mental effects on kids who are wearing masks in our day. So maybe we can continue this youth journey of health as it's, you know, relates to, I'd love to during parents here. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. I mean, this has been so enlightening and I hope it's helpful for some of our listeners and our community. Thanks for helping keep our kids healthy and safe and for sharing all this great information with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. We look forward to seeing you soon, hopefully not for any injury-related reason. No, definitely not. (laughs) Take care and thank you. All right, thanks, guys.